I grudge them, grudge the man, you know. I threw him a fight for black liberation. And him a one true warrior. Them I want to try to stop him. But them can't stop the man. Them can't stop Raheem Shabazz. That's why anytime me want to listen to revolutionary liberation vibes, me tune into Necessary Blackness podcast. Me not hear them like a Yaga Yaga podcast them. I be your Necessary Blackness me rock with. Anytime me want your true warrior talking. Peace and power, Black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today, we have a special guest in the building, and she is a student lawyer. Am I correct? (laughs) A law student, yes. (laughs) Lawyer, law student, as well as an activist. And yes. um, she has been a part of the movement to liberate black people and to make sure that the rights that are afforded to us is being upheld by the law. And so today we have Shay Dixon with us. How are you doing, sister? I'm fine. Thank you so very much for having me, Raheem. It is such a pleasure to be able to come on your platform and speak with you. I'm honored, so thank you. I'm honored as well. Now, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about what's actually happening in the news. There's a lot of things going on. Um, in the midst of presidential election with Joe Biden and Donald Trump, and then we have the coronavirus that's going on. Um, total mayhem with this pandemic, and then there's also racial tension. So we're going to get into all of that, but let's start with Kanye West. Um, have you been privileged to see the uh, clip? Yes. Yeah, no, I actually watched the entire rally. Um, I didn't want to make judgment off of the clips alone, so I watched the whole thing. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Um, first of all, I hope that no one was seriously considering voting for him for president. Um, I think he made it very clear from the beginning that he wasn't even serious about it. And um, most of the time with artists, when they do a big publicity stunt, music is attached to it. Mm-hmm. So for me, I just kind of figured, okay, you know, he probably has the music that he's trying to release. However, I, I, I'm saddened to know that some people actually did take him serious and some people said that they were going to vote for him. Um, not only is he not qualified to run a country, but I think most importantly, his mental health um, isn't up to par. And I, I think that that should be his number one focus and priority right now, getting himself back healthy so that he can be the man that he wants to be and a father to his kids and a, a, wife, a husband to his wife, if that's what he wants. You know what, what a lot of people don't realize is that most people initially were saying that this was a way to get Trump voted because it would take away votes from Joe Biden, right? But when they ran the polls, and I'm not really a poll guy, but they said 0.2% of the people probably would have voted for Kanye West, right? Yeah. Then he 
think it was uh, Ohio. No, not Ohio, Idaho. One of those states, or key states, he couldn't even get on the ballot there. So he started in South Carolina. Was it South Carolina or North Carolina? Which one was it? Uh, South Carolina. South Carolina. And um, he still has yeah, a bonus North vote. Carolina. You know, after his rally and train. Well, I, I think they said that he, he missed the deadline to actually get on the ballot there. Wow. And I think there will be several other states that he will not be on the ballot in as well. But once again, I, I don't think this has ever been anything serious for him. He's not really trying to be the president of the United States of America. Okay. He's trying to garner more attention and hopefully sell some Yeezys or some Gap clothes or some albums. That's I'm sure that's what he's doing. Speaking of Yeezy and Gap, um, during his rant, he mentioned something about pulling out from the um, whatever he had business relationship with them. And do you unless he's on the board. Yeah, unless he's on the board, he said he's pulling out. They don't have no blacks on the board, and he's. You know, he has to be on the board. And guess what happened? What? They fired him. Of course, because you know what? That That is the bottom line when it comes to um, racial injustices. So we're asking to be included and to have equality across the board. And that means having black people in positions of power. That doesn't mean just having a black person be your brand ambassador. Mm -hmm. But so he, he was, he had the right train of thought there. Um, Gap should have some black people on the board. They should have black people in powerful positions. Every co company in America should, that's, we should be diverse like that. But I think that it was a little unrealistic for him to think that he was going to give Gap an ultimatum, Adidas an ultimatum, or any other corporation that he clearly does not own. He can't give them an ultimatum like that. Yeah. But, you know, everything got to be done with strategic timing. And right now, with the racial tension that's going on around the country and a lot of these big corporations trying to say that Black Lives Matter and trying to be on the right side of history, it might have could have worked for him and it might still yeah but i think it's the wrong time for him because his mental health is yeah, if he wasn't going right that, so if he would have maybe like you said been strategic about it and attempted to you know find his way on the board mm -hmm. in another way when he was healthier mentally i think that he would he would have had a better chance yeah especially after seeing that they stopped went down they would probably okay. go back to the negotiating table and say, uh, what is it that you want again? We might can make that happen. Yeah. So the main takeaway that everybody was really ranting and raving about is when he said Harriet Tubman did not free the slaves. She just helped them to get jobs with other white folks. I got to start off by apologizing to our ancestor, Harriet Tubman. I do not want her to think that, you know, her work was in vain and that black people out here being unappreciative and, you know, kind of trying to discredit what she has done or rewrite what she has done. Um, but Kanye West, man, like, I, I think the main point there is he tried to equate it to capitalism, which, of course, America is a capitalist society. 
Um, but she didn't move the black people to go and work for other white people because at that time there were only white people to work for. Black people weren't even legally allowed to have businesses. Instead, what the black people who were escaping slavery in the South were trying to get away from were, was all the human rights violations that they were experiencing. Black people were trying to stay alive. Black people were trying to keep from being beaten. Black people were trying to keep from being raped. Black people were trying to keep from, I mean, it's, it's all these other issues that are actually human rights issues that black people were escaping slavery for. And, and it had nothing to do with civil rights issues, you know, which are some of the things that um, Kanye West tried to relate Harriet Tubman's work to. And what he failed to mention is that there was blacks. Um, if we look at Mobile, Alabama, that once they was free, they was able to work for their former slave masters and get compensation. And then they bought back the land. There's a community in Mobile, Alabama that's called Africa Town. And these Africans were only enslaved for four years. So they still held on to their spiritual system. They still held on to their language. So when they was free, they built towns, you know, they built their own homes, their own schools, and they set up a government within their community. And that town still exists today. And actually, I have a documentary coming out about that. But see, history and facts like this, you know, it escapes Kanye West because he's not a scholar. He's not someone that studies this. He's uninformed and uneducated, and he's not around the right people that would even help him get that information. All right, speaking of uninformed and uneducated, (laughs) right? Our brother, and I say this with sincerity, you know, I know people are really going in on Nick Cannon, but that is still our brother. He was trying to educate people. He did nothing different than our great grandmaster teacher, John Henry Clark. He did nothing different than our great grandmaster teacher, Dr. Ben, who has a book out about the black Jews and everybody needs oh, yeah. to that. And he was quoting um, information that is in the book, The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews, that has over 2,000 quotes from white white Jewish scholars. So I don't understand what's the argument. And then when they said anti-Semitic, right? This is the problem I think they really have. When they said, when he said, how can we be anti-Semitic when the word Semitic, anti-Semitic, I'm sorry, when the word Semitic derived from the Semitic people that were black and he broke it down. So we know who the original black Jews is. So I think they had a problem with that because when he went into the science of melanin and how, um, you know, uh, lack of sunlight and melanin digressed them to savagery and, you know, we know they came out of the Caucasus Mountains, the cave. This, they white scholars, they're witness to this. If you read the Iceman Hanging, that, that book clearly puts that information out. But, um, I, you know, with his apology, I was just like, man, you know what I mean? Like, his apology 
almost to the point where he said, matter of fact, hold on one minute. I'm gonna um I'm gonna it was a key thing that he said where I was just like, man. Well, while you look that up, let me just say this. I think that what Nick Cannon said is a very conversation that needs to be, it's a very good conversation yeah. or a very important conversation that needs to be had in America. Um, America, Israel, every, like, between Jewish, Jewish people and Black people. Um, because we, Black people, when I say we, I mean Black people, you know, we have been educated on our culture and our history and just these different um, things that were hidden from us when we were enslaved here in America. And, you know, this this Jewish um, thing is one of them. So if the Bible is speaking on black people who were enslaved, taken from their land and enslaved, taken to other places and enslaved and this is a prophecy. You know, we are the people who were taken from our land and enslaved. We also know that there were no white people in this in, in Africa in these areas. So, you know, we could use deductive reasoning to um, come to the conclusion that those people that they were speaking of in the Bible, they had to be black. Yeah. Um, I do have a friend who is Jewish, a white guy, and um, I asked him some of these same questions because, you know, I, I also have learned the same information that Nick Cannon has learned and the same information that you have learned as well. And I asked him the question, like, how did they, how did the Jews become white? Like, when did that happen? And he basically told me that, um, the black, the black Jews are their ancestors and that over time, their skin changed to white. Um, and so they are upholding the legacy of um, their this, this ideology. And I think that's fine. Everybody has the right to hold their own opinions and live their lives however they want to. The only thing that's problematic to me is the fact that a whole land is being built around this so-called prophecy from the Bible. You, you have Israel that has occupied the Palestinian people's land. And not only have they occupied their land, but they're also a big bully there. You know, they have a huge military might and the Palestinian people don't have that. They're killing Palestinian people. They have been killing Palestinian people, whole families, like children, babies, granddaddies, mamas, daddies. They take out the whole line. They don't care. And that's the type of savagery that I don't agree with. So um, I think that Nick Cannon was well within his rights to say everything that he said. I don't think it was necessary for him to apologize for his statements. If anything, if he wanted, if he wanted to offer an apology, I think that he should have offered an apology if he hurt someone's feelings. Like I, I'm all about like not necessarily making people feel comfortable, but being understanding when you say things that hurt or offend people. Um, I think it is reasonable to listen to what other people have to say. And if you feel like you have hurt their feelings or you have misstated something, then it's okay to apologize. And but and, and hold on, before you go any further, and the only way to get to the point where you misstated something is to have an open dialogue. 
And that's exactly happened, right? Exactly. Because Which is why I started this off with, I think it's time for that conversation to be had. I would love to sit down with some Jewish people and actually hash this out because I want to know too. And I want to know what they're thinking and, you know, how they have the rights that they're saying comes from the Bible to do the things they're doing. You know, there's, there's, there's actually a video clip online of uh, our great grandmaster teacher, John Henry Clark, where he's in a debate with a white Jewish woman um, who wrote a book, like discrediting everything that he wrote, said, and it's called Not Out of Africa. And when I tell you that this white lady couldn't hold a candle to John Henry Clark, that's the type of debates that we should have. Clearly she lost that, you know? And he proved without a shadow of a doubt that the original Jews was black. And he proved their history, where they descend from, and everything. And her book is called Not Out of Africa. I'm not off the top. I can't remember her name, but you can Google that. Now, we don't have too much time, so we're not going to um, dwell too much on that. But I just want to say this. Um, his apologies are first and foremost. I extend my deepest and most sincere apologies to my Jewish brothers and sisters for the hurtful and divisive words that came out of my mouth during my interview with Professor Griff. Okay, nothing wrong with apologizing. You felt like you offended somebody. And this is what I have a problem with because he didn't say nothing untruthful. They reinforced the worst stereotype of a proud and magnificent people, and I feel the shame. Of the, mm-hmm. He said he feels ashamed of the uninformed and naive place that these words came from. Uninformed Ooh. place. Oh, that's completely place. discrediting our elders. Yeah, there's no uninformed place. You know where you got that information from. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm sure that you cross-referenced it, and, and this is not nothing new. But like I said, we're going to move on, and I, I wish that brother uh, the best. And um, I heard someone say, you know, don't discount him. You know, you never know what his plans is. You know, while we playing checkers, he may be playing chess. You know, um, playing chess to do what? Well, <laughs> Look, like what? What could the end goal possibly be? Well, this is what what I think he was getting at, as far as um, him getting back in to um, the entertainment industry. And retaining it's time for us to come away from that though as black people we gotta start being able to create these opportunities for ourselves and we gotta support each other and ourselves and that's the terrible thing about nick because he had our entire community behind him our entire community would have supported anything that he did but it's uh diddy reached out and said yo come over to revolt but then again two days later there was an article, and it's on my Instagram, where it named the individual that's a counselor. And he's actually a Jewish, I don't know if he's a rabbi, but he's Jewish, and he's a counselor to several uh, A-list entertainers, and he's gonna be counseling uh, Nick Cannon. So this, you said some things that you felt was true about Jewish people, and they deemed it hateful and harmful, but now you go see counseling from a from them person. So this right yeah. here may be his way to get back in. Do I agree with it? No, because he has enough money 
and we and, and we need to build our own. You know, so Nick Cannon, build your own. You know, Tyler Perry is a prime example that you can yeah. actually have and own your own studio. And I think with the amount of support that he received, that should have been a telltale sign that listen, I don't need Hollywood. Hollywood needs me. All right, so exactly, we, we got off of that um, subject. Um, I want to talk about the activism. Um, initially, in the beginning stages of Black Lives Matter, you were there on the ground. You were there um, when things started really taking off. Um, you're no longer a part of that organization. And I just want to say, um, for the record, um, I support the Black Lives Matter slogan. Um, as far as the organization, um, I, I don't support the organization. In fact, I rarely and almost never support an organization that has a figurehead. Because I think that we are leaders within our own right and we need to seek leadership within ourselves. And anytime you have a leader organization, they can either be uh, co-op, they can be murdered, mm -hmm. they can be neutralized. And they can be used as a tool of racism and white supremacy to further the actual liberation of our people. So that's just my uh, disclaimer. You know, I don't want nobody, yo, you support Black Lives Matter? Yes, I do. The slogan, not no, I think it's important what you just said, Raheem, because what a lot of people are feeling to realize is that this movement is not the Black Lives Matter movement. Black Lives Matter is an organization. Mm -hmm. Now, when we started this movement, it started online, on social media. And we yeah. would do the hashtag, we would do the hashtag Black Lives Matter. And it was a way to link everybody from all over this country who were sharing these same thoughts and ideals about the need to end police killings and police brutality and violence in general. Mm -hmm. Now, when we decided to come together off of the internet, I was a part of that first group. We came together and under the organization name of Black Lives Matter. And then we started to do the work then. Of course, other chapters began to pop up and tons of other organizations as well. So I want people to know that they can support the movement for Black Lives without specifically um, agreeing with the ideology of Black Lives Matter. You know, we started saying Black Lives Matter is a positive affirmation to each other and ourselves. We were saying Black Lives Matter because uh, everything, all the laws that are written that are supposed to be for all people, when these folks are saying all lives matter, they're, they're conveniently forgetting that black people were not included in that all um, it, with liberty and justice for all. We weren't included in that. Mm -hmm. All men were created equal. Black people weren't included in that. So it was necessary for us to put this positive affirmation out there for ourselves. And it's a good thing. Um, now for me, the reason that I decided to leave the organization, uh, I, I'll be honest. I really enjoyed um, the time that I spent and the work that I've done and even most of the people that I came in contact with, um, I know if I had never, um, been a part of that work, there are so many wonderful people that I would not have had the opportunity to meet and learn from. 
Um, however, we got to a point to where, you know, it was clear. The first thing is two, two issues. Jackie Lacey, our district attorney, you know, we were putting our bodies on the front lines and doing all this work, taking up all this time and all this energy, trying to get these police officers here in Los Angeles uh, prosecuted. And Jackie Lacey would not move. She wouldn't prosecute anyone. And it came out that um, one of my. Um, oh, and also we, we decided to be a leader, leaderless organization. So we didn't decide that anybody would be the leader of Black Lives Matter. We just kept saying like, oh, we're, we're going to be leaderless and everybody has a say. But it um, it came out that one of my comrades, Melina Abdullah, um, was actually friends with Jackie Lacey. And for me, it, it kind of was like, well, it, it allowed me to see the politics of L.A. because I'm from Nashville. I lived in Atlanta before I moved to L.A. So just being a transplant here and I, I work in entertainment. So when I moved to L.A., I wasn't I didn't go into the communities until I actually started organizing. This was my first dose of seeing what the politics in L.A. were like. Mm -hmm. So I realized that Melina Abdullah was not only friends with Jackie Lacey, but she sat on a board that gave Jackie Lacey an award. And then when we when we um, would have our meetings and it was time to actually organize against Jackie Lacey, Melina didn't want it. When we first started Black Lives Matter, I used to control the social media. So I, one of our first things that we decided as a group, I was also a part of the steering committee of Black Lives Matter. But one of the first things that we decided to do was kind of do this social media um, campaign against Jackie Lacey. We, you know, got all of our stuff in order and set the time and the date that it was set that we were going to launch it. And the time and day came and I began to shoot off, even though Melina had called me prior to that and said, no, we should hold off. I was like, no, we're going to move forward with this. So I continued. And then she logged in and changed the password. And I haven't had access <laughs> to the Black Lives Matter social media since then. Wow. So that's the first thing. The fact that I saw that people who were a part of our organization were playing politics and being friends with people who we who are really our enemies to be honest they were they were enemies to our community now, um, that's the first thing before you get to part two right wasn't recently there was an incident where um what's the young lady name you said melina melina abdullah melina abdullah and jackie lacy when she went to a house and a gun was pulled yeah her husband, um, Jackie Lacey's husband, <laughs> pulled a gun. He was her prior, and then now her husband pulled the gun on her when she went to the lady cop. Yeah, but they know each other. Huh? They know each other. <laughs> but it's just like, yo, you went and stuck your neck on the line for this lady, and then you show up at a house with a protest, and then you get a gun pulled it. Because I actually seen her roll something on social media. I bet you she went out of office now. What do you think that whole thing was about? Uh, I don't know, Raheem, to be honest. I I mean, like, just politics in L.A. Um, regarding the movement, they're so interesting. For instance, like, Melina Abdullah's um, mentor is Karanga, Mulana Karanga. Wow. And we, you know, we know... Um, 
his responsibility in in helping to destroy the Black Panther Party. And, you know, somebody from his group killed two Black Panther members on the campus of UCLA. And he's a convicted woman beater, you know? So you have someone, and, and I know that people can change. Um, and I'm not trying to hold his past against him. But what I'm saying is, the politics in LA are so interesting because people really are doing their own thing. A lot of people have their own agendas, but they are a part of the movement and they are pretending to be doing work for the betterment of the whole community when in fact their agenda is selfish. Yeah. It's either being selfish or they doing the work of their white handlers. Now, before I cut to yeah. you, you was getting ready to go to part two. Let's go to part two. Um, Part two. So we're at the beginning of building this movement and we are creating the mission statement of Black Lives Matter and, you know, what we're here for, what we're about, what we believe in, what we plan to do. And I received an email one day of to look over the draft. And in this draft, it, it said that we are committed to, um, I'm, I'm going to find the email, I'm gonna find the document, I'm gonna send it to you afterwards, mm -hmm. okay? So that you can have it. Okay. But it said that we are committed to destroying the heteronormative family structure. So Black Lives Matter, the organization, wanted to be, I don't know if they still are, because this is really what's in me packing. Um, their goal and focus was to destroy the heteronormal family structure. So the male and the female and the children, they wanted to destroy that. If you look on and my website, thing is this. If you look on their website, it don't say in It still says that? Words. No, it don't say it in that, those harsh words. But they say, and she said it openly in the interview about uh, queering the movement or something to that effect. Well, Raheem, um, I think that there's space for everybody in the movement. Mm -hmm. So regardless of what your lifestyle choice is or what your beliefs are, there's a space for you in the movement. That's the first thing. Um, but for me, I would never be a part of something that wants to destroy how we all got here. This is, this is, nat this is God's natural order, the man, the woman, and the child. And I'm a heterosexual woman. I'm also a single mother I'm raising a son and I, I would have my son in all these movement spaces with me. So it didn't sit well on my heart, you know, to have my son in these spaces where we are fighting to end what he knows as normal, just cause like that's we shit. I was born this way. Look, <laughs> the same way they say it, right? I was born this way, okay? I like men. I, I want a husband and children. And I should that should be okay. And no one should want to destroy that for me. So since you left uh Black Lives Movement, you still have been on the ground. Um I seen pictures of you being arrested. I seen pictures of you at protests. Um, as a law student, what gave you the impetus to want to go into law and how has it been for you as uh, a Black woman? So my organizing and work in the movement for Black Lives is the reason that I'm in law school right now. 
um, it got to a point where I realized I was making some type of impact in our community, but just not the right kind of impact or a big enough impact. And somewhere down the line, I realized that if I learned the law and I went to law school, I would be of more, more of a benefit to our community. So that's how I got to law school. Um, I'm about to graduate. Let me just toot my own horn for a second. I got five classes left. They are electives. I'm about to be out of there, done with it, and hopefully practicing law um, in a different way. Like, I'm, I'm, I practice law right now already. Like, I've been law clerking for uh, the Los Angeles County Public Defender's Office for the past year. I'm also a legal observer with the National Lawyers Guild. So I basically transitioned my role in the movement. So I went from putting my body on the front line as an activist and organizer to putting my body on the front line as a legal observer there mm -hmm. as someone who can support the protesters and provide legal support for them um, if they got arrested. And you need to be commended for that. You definitely need people that look like us that can get into that courtroom and argue it is my on duty. our behalf. Um, you know it's my duty. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you think that um, as a black woman, when they see you in the legal field, that it gives you a certain amount of respect or it doesn't matter? No, I don't think it matters. Like to who? To people in the movement? No. no. <laughs> when you're in the court, definitely not in the court. Yeah, no, like it's, no, like I'm just one person and that system is that system. It's going to take a lot more than just me to be able to, you know, make a significant impact. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure, I don't know. I don't think yeah, that people. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have helped someone and made an impact, whether it was big or small, and you probably look back in hindsight and say, you know what, this is the reason why I do what I do. Has there been a situation like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, my, my heart is definitely in it, like, especially with my clerkship at the public defender's office. Um, I spent the first six months clerking for the juvenile courts. And I would go home every day and call my daddy and cry. I sit on the phone with him and cry because I, I, we hear and talk so much about how broken this system is, but you, you don't really get to see the impact of it until you're actually there working with those people. Um, man, it's, it's like, it's heartbreaking for me. Um, the juveniles are clueless, you know, products of their environment, still being treated the same way adults are, oftentimes getting charges that are not the actual offense if they even did something. Um, I think that there are more protections for them in Los Angeles than there are in places like Nashville, where I'm from, where my, my little brother was. 16 years old with three other people who were over the age of 18 and got caught up into some issues with them. And he was tried as an adult and sentenced to 11 years in prison. And he was sent to a maximum security penitentiary at the age of 16. 
And at the age of 18, at midnight, they released him from the juvenile part and put him into the general population. And the, the prison that he was at, was it's called the Thunderdome. It's like known as one of the, the roughest prisons in Tennessee, you know? So um, they wouldn't do that here in LA for the offense that my brother um, got that conviction. Well, he didn't even get convicted to I, I it's it's a long sad story yeah. of scaring people with plea deals making them think that if they don't accept the plea deal they're gonna get 25 years and all of this other crap which is just tools of manipulation but we don't know that when we go in there so they do stuff like that still in the south but here in la like the worst of the juveniles is going to get is like six months at a camp. They call them camp, like these detention centers. And they have the opportunity to move forward with their lives when they complete their program. Yeah, it's unfortunate what happened to your brother. But I think there's people like you that are in key positions to represent individuals like that. And we could begin to change this law and little by little, um, not only uh, dismantle the system, but to abolish it and destroy it. Because the justice we know today is corrupt, and um, this is a system that wasn't built to help us. It wasn't built to even give us justice. So nope. I want to um, talk about an incident, speaking about justice, mm. <laughs> about privilege. And, um, you had an incident yourself where you went back home to Nashville and you recorded it and you uploaded it and um, you had the incident in an uplift. Man, I, 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 I put out the word, I was falling, people were falling, and you know when you give them an impact where they're trying to explain, um, they're telling you things that you heard already, so you know they know the situation. And there's more and more people calling. Um, I don't want to tell your story. I want you to take us to the beginning and <laughs> tell us about this camp. Man, okay. Uh, well, first, Raheem, thank you for all the support that you gave me. Oh, no doubt. Um, do. I, I appreciate it greatly. I need to let everybody know I have moved. I'm safe. I am not living there anymore. So um, hopefully this lady doesn't find where I live at now and, and like come hunt me down. But this, my situation started so simple to be honest, Raheem. It's like when I pulled my phone out to begin to record, it was only to document um, the damage that was done to my car. I had no idea that everything that transpired would transpire. So I rented a rental car. I went in my house, went to sleep. The next day when I came out, um, my car wasn't where I left it. So, you know, I like hit the button and I'm walking through the parking lot and I see that my car is like 10 parking spots down. So as I approach my vehicle, I see a, a blue case restoration company business card on my car. So I took the, the card up and I noticed there was a case restoration truck sitting idle like a few spots over. So I approached the truck. And I asked the man, um, 
if he was Bob Armstrong, which is the name that was on the card. And he said, yes. And I said, did you move my car? And he said, yes. And I said, like, why? Like, whoa, why did you move my car? And he was like, well, it was in our way, like very nonchalant. It was in our way. And I was like, dang, like that's messed up. It's private property. You, you don't just move people's cars. If there's any damage on my car, you or your company, because your company is the principal and you're the agent of this company, you're responsible. But that's the thing, Raheem. That, that's the thing. Okay. They didn't expect for me to know the law. Yeah. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't know that I was a law student, right? So when I go to my car, I realize that it's, it's got a scratch. It's scratched on the bumper, yellow paint. And then the hubcap, the left front hubcap is like, um, it's metal, but it's bent. And there's yellow paint on it as well. And yellow paint on the other hubcaps too. They have two big yellow forklifts, whatever these machines are called, on the property that I've seen them operate on the property several times. So it's like, this is the only yellow thing. So I asked him who his supervisor was. He told me that his supervisor's name was Casey Hayes. I just, just decided I'm not even going to follow up with you. Like, I, wanna, I want your boss, not you. There's nothing that you can do, really. Even if you are the person who moves my car, and done the damages. So I went ahead and called the company. Um, I asked to speak to Kaysen Hayes, the secretary. Her name was Dahlia Chadwick, very unprofessional, extremely rude. She definitely doesn't need to be in charge of answering anybody's phones or being the voice or face of anybody's business. So I told her what happened. And she, from the beginning was like, oh no, that couldn't happen. Like we don't move people's cars. So I was like, Right, ma'am. Like, so I guess you can understand why I'm so frustrated. She allowed me to leave a message. However, no one ever called me. So when I never received a call back, I began to call Case Restoration Company back. Oh, I skipped the whole one. The, <laughs> the story is too long, Raheem. All right, so make a make a. Oh no 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 no! I I didn't I didn't skip nothing. Don't worry. Okay, I'm 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 on track. So. I continue to call the company and when I'm calling um, Dahlia hangs up in my face when I let her know that it's me and I just was like I got time today I'm gonna keep calling back I kept calling back every time she hung up in my face hung up in my face hung up in my face so then I leave the house this was on Juneteenth I had um, four of my nieces with me ages four five five and eight we were having a Juneteenth celebration they were so excited and we were going to pick up our party trays and go to the bank. So as I'm leaving the parking area, I see Bob Armstrong, the man from Case Restoration who moved and damaged my car, coming in. So I stopped the car to talk to him. I pull my camera out and I'm like, you know, I keep calling you guys and no one will respond to me. I, they keep hanging up in my face and I ask him to get out of his truck so I can show him the damage. And as soon as I turn around, it's like this lady who has later, who has been identified as Alicia Eldridge, this lady just, she's there out of nowhere and she's saying something, but I'm not really caring about what she's saying. So I told her, no, mind your business. This ain't got nothing to do with you. And when I told her that, she said, I'm gonna go get my gun. Mm. And I heard her say it, even though I was trying to continue handling my business. I heard her say it. So I immediately turned around and confronted her about it and followed her to her truck because if she had a gun, I wasn't going to let her get it. Mm -hmm. 
so she um i'm like did you just threaten to pull your gun out on me and she goes i'm a police officer so i'm like what does you being a police officer have to do with you threatening me with a gun anyway she bagged down i continued to handle my business i left we went to pick up our party trays i stopped at the bank came back to the house we we get back to my front door i noticed that my front door was open so i walk in this two strange white men that i've never seen in my life that work for case restoration inside of my house so i immediately started screaming like you know saying some words that i won't say on your podcast but i'm like who the who told you to come and get the you know y'all gotta go and I grab. I tried to get my phone out of my purse fast enough, but I got them coming out of out of my door. Like, who are you? They. I don't even. I still to this day don't know who those two men who were in my house were or what they were doing. But what one of them did tell me is that Bob Armstrong, the man who moved my car and damaged it, and who I had just talked to an hour before, sent them into my house. To do what? So, huh? What they said, they was there to do some work? They didn't say they was there to do anything. They never told me. They just said he sent them in. So I'm looking at it like, all right. You know, I just got threatened with a gun on Bob's behalf. And then Bob sent two of his boys in my house because he knows the code to my door. He wanted to show me that he could have access to me and that they could make do on their threats anytime they want. That's how I took it. And that's, that's how he meant it. So I call case restoration again. I'm like, this is crazy. Like y'all got people coming into my house. No one asked me to access this house. No one contacted my realtor. Like what's going on? But this is how they do black people in Nashville anyways. And because I want want answers and because I want my rights protected, you know, I'm, I'm ignored or I'm being the angry black woman because I'm seeking equal justice and equal protection under the law. So case restoration just stopped communicating with me in general. I even went there. There was a form that we needed to submit to the Tennessee Department of Safety and Homeland Security. I sent the form to the office. Dahlia Chadwick put me out. They put you out. So, so she, she just put me out. She put me out of the office. She said that they didn't want to talk to me. Um, so the next day, Raheem, I, it's still crazy to me that I got threatened with a gun by a police officer. And I'm like, I knew that she wasn't a police officer because I called the police after that happened. When I saw those, when I came back to the house, I called the police. So when the police came and I showed them the video, they were able to verify her identity and confirm that she was not a police officer. So I knew she wasn't a police officer. I know that. She looked like a meth head. Yeah, I'm sure she is. Yeah. I'm willing I'm willing to bet money on it. And I'm willing to bet money that Bob Armstrong is an alcoholic because I've had many people email me and tell me that he's known as their town drunk. Um, so like I the next morning, for some reason, you know, I was on the phone with my best friend and something just said, open your front door. And I opened the front door, Raheem. When I opened that front door, I saw a little head coming up the stairs. Guess whose head it was? It was Alicia Eldridge. It was Karen's head. It was Karen's head. 
And I'm like, oh my God. And I noticed that she has on a work uniform. So I tell my friend, like, Marvelyn, I got to call you back. Like, let me get off the phone because I'm not able to record with you on the phone. Yeah. So I just step outside of my door with my pajamas on and my hair still wrapped. And I'm like, with my camera following behind her, trying to get a glimpse of her employer's name on her uniform. And so finally she turned around and she was like, what do you want? Why are you following me? And I was like, you said you're a police officer? She's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. You know, just already knowing that she's not a police officer, she's just impersonating one. Um, and then she turns around and walks back in the other direction and she stops at this door and goes to open it up. And then she tells me, no, nah, you're not going to record me while I'm opening this door. And I'm a, I'm a reasonable person, Raheem. Yeah. So my first thought was, okay, let me turn the camera the other way so that she can have her privacy and open up her door, you know, but I need to get her uniform name. And as I turned my head, I realized, damn, that's my door. Like, wait, so you a police, you claim to be a police officer, but your badge says TSA, you threatened me with a gun and you live next door to me. And she was like, yeah, like it was cute. Yeah. So I immediately terminated my lease at that point and was like, I need to find a different place to move to because I'm not staying here with this crazy lady living next door to me. Um, there was already a warrant out for her arrest as well. And so a few days later, somebody's knocking on my door and I'm, I look out the peephole and it's two white people, a white man and a white woman. So I immediately grab my phone and start to record again. And when I open up the door, the lady tells me, um, hi, you know, she introduced herself to me and she goes, we saw your videos online and we came up to let you know that that lady does not live here. We own this condo. So they actually own the unit that she was pretending to go into that day. You never went into that the, I didn't see her go in. Oh. But, but the lady did tell me that they hired her to clean it because they were using it as an Airbnb and they had a, somebody that was coming in to rent it. Mm. So, but the lady was like, but we fired her when we saw the video. So like, you don't have to worry about her bothering you or, or harassing you again. So I'm like, that's crazy. Like what kind of crazy person does this? But you know, she was doing things to try to scare me and intimidate me further. Yeah. So um, July 5th comes around and me, my mom, and my cousin are inside the house just chilling and someone's knocking on the door again. And every time somebody knocks on the door, I'm confused because nobody knows where I live. And if anybody's coming to visit me. Let me ask you something. This is after, <laughs> yeah, after you was told she was fired? Yep. After, exactly. She okay. was fired. So she... It didn't even cross my mind that it may potentially be her because she had no reason to even be on this private property at this yeah. time. So um, I look out the peephole and there's a finger covering the peephole. And I'm like, what kind of? I go into my bedroom and I look out of my window and I notice that it's her. So I tell my mom and my cousin, like, oh, my God, y'all would never believe who's at the door. Like, it's Karen. Karen's back. And... <laughs> And so I opened the door and, you know, my mom and my cousin came to the door with me and she's there still being demanding, still thinking she can tell me what to do, telling me she want to talk to me. And I told her, I don't want to talk to you. I asked her to leave. She wouldn't leave. She demanded me to stop recording. And I'm like, 
Lady, you came to my house. How are you going to come to my house thinking you can boss me around and tell me what to do? I asked you to leave. You should just leave. But once again, Raheem, that's how those white people are in the South. <laughs> it's, when you live in Atlanta, you know. But Atlanta's not like that. Nashville, especially certain parts of Nashville, man, they think that, you know, you black. So that means that you need to shut the hell up, listen to what they say, be submissive, smile and hold your head down. That's what they wanted. Um, and I think that's what really got them. I'm not that. Yeah. Do they not understand that there's a new generation that gives They don't understand. And they don't get it. The... I, I, I want to ask you a question, right? Now, I know about racism and white supremacy, right? And the privilege white people think they have. And to exercise that privilege in that domain over black lives, right? But yeah. history is showing them, you know what I mean? That this is not the same generation, even though... You know, the past generations, they fought and they fought a good fight, you know, and, and, and the fight and, and, and the struggle continues until victory is certain. But it, it, it's like, it, it, it baffles me at the same time, but I do understand, you know what I mean? They feel they have an inherent right to do and say, Over us. say please, but it's 2020. And you really think you can talk to people like that? So this Well, look at who we have running the country. Absolutely. Listen to how he talks about minorities. Yeah. So I have a shirt that you that, that you know about. It says, I wish a Karen would, right? And I'm gonna send you a shirt. You know. Thank you, Raheem. I'm definitely gonna wear my I wish I I wish a Karen would shirt. <laughs> so what do you think it is that is they feel they can do this because is it that now that we have cameras is being recorded because I don't remember a time that this was being done. I, and, I, and I know it was being done, but it just seems like not just every day, 10 times a day, there's a video uploaded with someone calling the police on you for walking your dog. Yeah. That's crazy. That's in the library that fell asleep, that showed the officer that, that, that she's a student, they walk into the dorm and still don't believe it. It's just so yeah. Why? And what needs to be done? Um, well, that those are that's a big question for you to ask me. But um You're a lawyer. you know, white supremacists, they start to act crazy when they are in fear. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, we could take you all the way back into history when they first started the slave patrols in Carolina. Um, they created those slave patrols, which are now the police, but they created those slave patrols because they were afraid that black people were going to start resisting their human rights abuses and that, hum that black people were also going to rise and start fighting back um so that fear made them literally structure this system of policing that our black people are too familiar with right now i see it as the exact same thing you know they know that like you said this is a new generation it's not shit's not going down the way it was going down in the 60s it's not gonna happen 
you know, you got your gun, Karen. We got guns too. And since you have threat, you have made this threat already, you best believe every time you come around, we going to be strapped, you know? So just that mindset and they know it because they see, they see how we respond to them when they try to provoke us or when they try to do things to us. We, we don't, we don't care about what they talking about. And they have a, a really hard time dealing with the fact that this authority that they have had over black bodies is ending. Yeah, I'm just glad, you know, I look at this generation, what's going on. And I'm just glad that when I grew up, you know, I didn't encounter a lot of that. You know, maybe it was because of the geographic location that I was in, um, the people I surrounded myself around, because, you know, um, this generation, you know, as they say, they, they, they go from zero to 60, right? When I was coming yeah. up, I go from zero to prison. Like, you just don't yeah. post nobody like that, you know? Yeah. And I think that individuals, you know, they recognize, and like, as you say, they have a certain amount of fear. But that fear will also recognize common sense. And um, yeah. they didn't do that. And you was right when, you, when I was like, why is this happening? You said, look who's in office. And I think yeah. it emboldened them to feel like they could do certain things and get away. Yeah. So yeah. We, and let me. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, and let me try to answer that second question. Okay. What needs to be done? Black people, we got to keep doing what we're doing now. You know, the, the time for the turn the other cheek is over. And, you know, we also need other people to join this fight. White people, other minorities as well. And we've always had really good allies in America. Like, I, I know a lot of people don't like to discuss our allies, but I am someone who will definitely give credit to our allies because we didn't have some bomb-ass allies. I'll be the first to say that. You know, so we just have to continue to fight it. We yeah, got to continue to fight any. You, hmm? you hear me? What you said? I no. You're going to have to educate me on that. The only ally. Word. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. This is just this Word. Is the bad speaker. The only ally I know and I respect is John Brown. That's it. Okay, I no, hear I, you. I, I, um, I, I, know, I know there's some people <laughs> that, in their small way, that they help. There was individuals, um, well, Marlon Brandon, that gave money to the Black Panthers. There was people that was giving them guns. Plenty of people. Yeah. And plenty of people, Raheem, especially yeah, yeah. in L.A. I, a I, lot I, of entertainers, especially. But you know, you know between them and now, they, we didn't find out what they was doing until 10, 20 years later. Like, they didn't do it for yeah. the show. They didn't right. come in and be a part of the movement. They knew they performed right. and they played it from the side, which was the smartest way. You know, everything don't have to be seen and heard. But today, right. it's totally different. You think but those rules still apply today. We just got to keep letting, like, I've been in organizing spaces or at protests and literally had to tell a white person, Sit back. This is not your time. 
Yeah. It's time for black people to be heard. If you're our ally, you need to be quiet and be here and be in support of us. Because these black people out here hurting. These black people need to get their voices heard. You don't get to hold the mic. You don't get to lead chance even. Just be here to support us. Now, you know, and you know, like as long that. as we educate them on that, yeah. our real allies, they, they get it. Yeah. But you know what I like best about that? I watched the video, and I might be wrong for this. What? Watch the video, man. And them police, man, they 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 really they they, they was out of order. <laughs> and they came in marching in formation. All the black people said, "White shield, white shield." Yes. Oh, people got in the front. Yes. So starting. I, I know the concept. Right here. Of, I know yes. the concept of it. Like, okay, the white people get in the front. They're not going to be as brutal and. Man, them police was really letting me lose. Hey, I said, wow. Yeah. be a hell of an ally. Yes, exactly. They was hitting them with them batons and all that. They said, white shield. And they just came to the front. I said, you yeah. know what? That's the type of ally I like. Yeah. See, that, this is, that right there, that's from the movement for Black Lives. So I'm telling you. These allies that I have worked with have been some super awesome allies. I'll just say that. Okay, okay. And I and I and I can agree with that. So I'm gonna take that back. There is allies. <laughs> Thank you, Raheem. As long as they're on the front line getting their hands. Nah. Whoa. Well, you know, there are other things that they can do. No, there is other things they can do. They can open yeah. up their uh, pocketbook, they can write a check. Yeah, they so can do that. They can get some reparations. Yep. You know, they can help us. They can help us change legislation. Yeah. Um. They can. They can continue to educate their white family and white mm. friends and community members because it's not. Our, it's not any black person's job to educate white people on what's going on. Yeah. We don't. That. That's not our burden. That is the burden of white people. The same Absolutely. way we educated and educate ourselves, they need to do the same thing. Absolutely. So we're going to bring this to a close because I don't know how long this Zoom. It said 45 minutes and it seemed like we've been talking for about an hour. But this has been a good conversation. You know, I always appreciate your energy. I appreciate what you do. I think Thank that you. um, you're a beacon of hope to young black sisters. That oh, thank you. There's someone that is there that has our best interests at heart and is gonna be advocating on our behalf, whether in the courtroom or standing on that front line. So sister, I salute you. And anytime you need anything, you let me know. Um, I know there's people out there who's gonna to wanna to know how can they contact you on social media. And I know a while back, um, you was doing um, something online to help you finish the school. Is that campaign done with? Um, yes, Raheem, I was raising money to pay tuition and I did pay my tuition for last semester. And then this semester, I, um, well, this coming up semester, I am in line to receive a huge financial blessing, which will cover all of my tuition and expenses. And so, yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. And you know why you're able to receive that? Because you bless so many people, and that's what it's about. Uh, um, thank you. You know, you help other people, and good things come to you. Now, in, in, in closing, 
So whatever happened, you moved. Did this lady ever get arrested for impersonating the police? The story has not ended yet. Um, there is still an active warrant out for her arrest. To my knowledge, she hasn't been arrested yet. Mm-hmm. Um, she did lose her cleaning job at the condo. Um, I know she was on suspension from her job at TSA. I'm not sure if she has been fired, but I'm going to continue to. Hmm? Suspended her? Yeah, they like, I don't know if they suspended her with pay. Probably did. Who knows? Um, because they, they haven't been uh, forthcoming um, or transparent with what they're doing right now. Um, but I'll be following up with them to see Please what kind do. of information I can get. Please do. Because if we got yeah. to do the campaign with the call, I was telling everybody, 9 o'clock in the morning, they should not be able yeah. to get the phone. That phone should be busy from the time of 9 o'clock until they shut down. They get no business. They're going to have to write Thank the you. Phone they got it. They got it. They got yeah. it, Raheem. And that's what we got like, to continue to they do. phones was ringing off the hook. That's what we got to continue Thank to. you. So in closing, um, what is your social media so people could um, find out more about Jay Dixon? Um, so I'm on Instagram as Miss Shay Dixon, and that's M S S H A D I X O N. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Shay Dixon. Just put in Shay Dixon, S H A D I X O N, and I'm pretty easy to find. Well, you know, I am fired from Facebook. I'm fired. Oh, what? Are you in jail, or did they just say bye? <laughs> Why did I say fired? I'm suspended, and this is my first okay. suspension. You know why? How much? Which which one? How many 13, suspensions? 13. Oh my god! Yeah, and you you speaking too much truth for him, Raheem. Yeah, and you, you know, know they what? can't handle that. I think every other suspension, I probably was like, "Yo, why did I get suspended?" But when they showed me what I said, I was like, "Wow, that was." It. <laughs> was it some? Was it something to be suspended over, or was it something petty? Nah. It, I'm saying I can see why they suspended me. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't like I lied. You know, um, it it was hurtful to the person that I probably mm-hmm. said it to. Um, um, was it um, racist? No, nah, I don't think it was racist. And sometimes mm-hmm. what I got to do is I don't always have to use aggressive language. I can say things, you know, because I I gotta have an extensive vocabulary. I can say things without using hurtful words and still get my point across. And I think that I'm going to do that when I get back. Because you know what's yeah. funny? I, yo, my inbox be lit. People be sending me stuff. I hey, you seen this? Can you see this? And they know, oh, what? What? They know I'm going to post it. I'm going to get my mm-hmm. on it. But then when I go to their page, they didn't share it. They didn't post mm, it. Yeah, they want you to. They want you to share it. Yeah, a lot of people times do me I, like it too. Yeah, a yeah. lot of times I call them out, like, "Yo, what's up? You ain't posting on your page." And, oh, well, you know, I got a job, and you know, my coworkers find me. And see, this is the litmus test. Right. You tell if someone is really about the liberation of their people. Right. I the same way you around me. I want to see if you're around there around your white friend. You know, you can't yeah. keep it up. You got to do the same all the time. And I and I had people privately tell me when they see me, yo, you know, I see all your posts. I just don't like it. 
you know. Wow. I got my co, you know, my co-workers following me to keep continue doing what you're doing. And to a certain degree, right? I understand that. You know why? Because it ain't everybody's job to be on the front line. Some people are not comfortable. Some people have a lot to lose. You know what I mean? In their eyes. I ain't got nothing to lose with my chain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, uh, I I'll be the one to speak the truth. But I just need yeah. to slap me up. <laughs> you know what I mean? When right. It, when, it, when it get funky. And, um, yeah, certain people, like, um, I think uh, Nick Cannon um, is probably going to be more careful um, in his choice of words when he do return back to the limelight. I don't think that he would probably stop um, fighting for the liberation of our people and his hope and desire to see us liberated. And, and I think, you know, he could be strategic and um, use his money, you know, build a, a production company, build yeah. a studio. You know, let's get a, a mass media company going on. And right. I, I think, you know, um, I don't know, though. <laughs> you know, they said once you label anti, uh, anti-Semitic, Semitic. Uh, follows you for the rest of your life. Like, that's just something you can't get off of you. And you know wow. what? I think that us black people, we need to take a, 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 a cue from what the Jewish people do. When they say never again, they mean that. You know exactly. I mean? And we oh, yeah. Have to stop accepting people's apologies. You remember right. when, uh, Don Imus when he called the uh, mm-hmm. fucking basketball nappy headed hoes? Nappy headed hoes. He didn't just get off the air. You know what I mean? And in fact, now he has he has another uh, program that he's doing. Um, what about what was it? Donald Sterling, um, the uh, one yeah. of the NBA owners. Yeah. Yeah, You know what? We got Don Imus, Donald Sterling, and we got Donald Trump. Mm. That's something. But they are able to say what they say, and then they apologize, and then everything is back to normal again. But when you say something that is deemed hurtful to Jews, oh, you're going to wear that stigma and that scar for the rest of your life. Even with Mm. his apology, there may be some that forgive him, but those that are part of the, um, what is it, the ADL and the upper echelon, they're not going to forgive him. And you know what? If that's how they are, that's how they are. But we need to be the same way. We need to have that same energy. Anytime someone says something or do something that's harmful to black society, we need to hold them accountable. And we don't need to our killers. We don't need to be, oh, we're going to pray for them. Oh, in the Bible, it's right. forgiveness. Because I don't know what Bible they read. But the Bible I know about say an eye for an eye and a two for a two. And that's why yeah. I don't turn to read the Bible. Because I think that's the only verse I've seen. I ain't never seen no verse that say turn the other cheek. I've seen the no. verse that say turn the other page, not the other cheek. <laughs> right. I want to thank you once again. Um, is there anything? that I didn't ask you, that I should have asked you in your last closing words that you would like to say to the people. No, thank you. You asked me a lot, Raheem. I I just want to express my gratitude to you, though. I'm very thankful uh, for your platform because you're such an important voice, not just to the Black community, but in in America in general. Like, 
You are very important. I appreciate you. And I just want to say thank you to you. And let me know if there's anything that I can do at any time to help you in any way. I just need you to keep fighting the good fight. Will do. Right. <laughs> I'll do that. Thank you. I appreciate you. And we will be in contact. And I got. I told you I got a show for you. I wish you can and would. Thank you. You know, um, when you wear that shirt, it's almost like an <laughs> affirmation. And I think it, it'll be a protective shield, right? So when they see that, oh, she ain't the one. In fact, yo, that lady, I knew she knew you wasn't the one. Because you was like, what you say? I got time today. You over here. What? And yo, well, I <laughs> watching it. I'm watching it in real time. I'm like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, but you know what? You were smart, though, because you had the babies with you. You had to maintain your cool. You right. Know, you didn't want to do nothing. So I, I understand, and um, you, you, you did the right thing, because sometimes when we are put in that situation, um, we let our emotions supersede our intelligence. You know? Yeah. And, and, and you were strategic with it. Um, you made sure that you were safe. Nothing happened to you. And... Um, Best believe all eyes was on Nashville. And um, you know what I told you, look, well, I got to come down there when I'm three, four hours away. You know, I could be there for the sunrise. You was like, no, 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 no. You don't have to come down for that. No. You wanted me to come down for the fireworks. You was like, you can come to the 4th of July. Listen, Raheem, I wanted you to come and celebrate, not to set it off. I, I, listen, I mean, listen. It could have got set off because you and a lot of we, other people was like, we was coming do we with need the to real come? Fireworks. We was coming with the real fireworks. Yeah, I know. I know. Not, this we got too much work to do, though. We got too we much got to too accomplish. Much to do, and, and I'm glad it didn't, it, it didn't come to that. But um, they, they need to know that it can't go there. You know what I mean? Right. So, you, you know, this is not happening. It's not going to happen right. on my watch, you know? Um, right. I don't know how much longer I have, um, but as long as I'm here, it's not going to happen. Right. You, know, you, you have to, you know, you, you know how many, you know, a person like me that's from the streets, right? You know how many penitentiary chances I, I took, so many things that I did that could have just ended my life in a, in, 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 a, in, in a split second of time. So... When you're doing right and you're on the right side of history, you know what I mean? You're going to fight even more for that, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's not a problem for me. I'm with the shits. <laughs> you know I, I mean? feel you. I know. Listen, most of us are. <laughs> yeah, right. but, you know, I would, I would prefer that, you know what I mean, we live our life, we live in peace, we live in harmony, and that we just enjoy one another, you know? Yeah. Um, and we I don't have to worry about the opposition or the open enemy. But, you know, it just seems that there's a certain segment of society that wants to poke the bear. They want yeah. to poke the bear. And, and um, them days is over. I'm not going to keep you yeah. much longer. I appreciate you. Give me a call if you need anything. And once again, this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. I'm your host, Raheem Shabazz. And we have the opportunity of over our dialogue with Shay Dixon. Thank you, Raheem. All right. All right. Peace.